What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. My name is Seth Ashworth. This week, I've got a fun episode lined up for you, which I hope you enjoy a lot. Just before we get started, I want to say a big shout out to the people who support this podcast via Patreon. Uh, Patreon's a cloud, 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 crowdfunding platform that uh, you can chip in a couple of bucks every month and just get early access to the podcast and also help me keep uh, keep the lights on and keep things rolling here, which is which is cool. Uh, if you can, I'd really appreciate you go over there, check that out, patreon.com slash Seth Ashworth. If you can't, that's cool too. I get it. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I hope you enjoy it and find it valuable and useful. And I will speak with you in a couple of weeks. Peace. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought to Ask, the Whitewater Kayaking Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Golda Goldstein, author of a written piece in on BlueRidgeOutdoors.com called Your Beatering is Not Cool. Golda, welcome to the show. Thanks, Seth. I'm glad to be here. But, uh, man, now, I, I hadn't heard of you before. I hadn't writ, uh, read any of your written work before. For people who maybe haven't um, heard of you or uh, do you want to give us like your background, your kind of your Tinder bio, your rundown? Um, yeah, I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I've been paddling for, oh, I don't know, 15 years or so. Uh, mostly open canoes, but I paddle pretty much anything that floats. I kayak a little bit. I hand paddle some. Um, I like I like inflatables. I like to row. Pretty much if it floats, I'm, I'm happy to spend my, my afternoon in it. Uh, and just been um, paddling for a while and just uh, started writing some articles and some stuff that started out with some blog posts and medium posts and recently was really excited to get that uh most recent article published with the blue ridge outdoors magazine cool now for people uh, who hadn't seen it it got like pretty well uh, shared like which is how i came to see it um and it was an article i'm going to get summarized briefly and you can tell me if i did an okay summary of it um it was an article about how people are influenced by Social media, maybe taking risks they shouldn't be because that's going to equal uh, more likes. And um, maybe our culture, especially in our, our community, is getting more okay to just like be beta friendly because it's, it's cool on it's cool to watch those videos. And so we're kind of okay to watch people do it. Is that, a, is that an accurate summary? Yeah, that's a pretty accurate summary. I think uh, a, a lot of people kind of uh, some of the feedback I got was folks thought that it was kind of coming from a uh, place where, you know, I'm opposed to people, you know, well, basically the better way to say this is like we're all in between swims and I'm aware of that. But the, the, the attention that I was hoping to bring to the conversation was that the mentality behind it really uh, really has a big effect on on the community and and the kind of days we have out there on the river. I was certainly interested when I read it. Um, and one of the was was there like a particular like moment or instance for you that was like the the thought start point for this article, or was it just uh, something you've been thinking about for a while, or um, you just really dig Peter of the day on Instagram and you wanted to talk about it? Um, it's kind of had been some thoughts had been brewing in my head for a, a little while about it and some conversations on shuttle rides around the Southeast talking about uh, just sort of the risk assessment and decision-making, you know, in the boating community. And, you know, I think in everybody's community, there's, there's always people that are, 
um, progressing at different speeds and sort of with, with different styles. And, um, you know, my, I just started to kind of see what I, what seems to me to be the sort of the subconscious effects of, you know, having GoPros and that style of camera so readily available and social media and just kind of the, the way that people get a lot of attention for getting trashed and that it's really easy to view and like to, to be swayed by that mentally and in terms of decision-making. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Like it, it, it was definitely insightful, um, but I thought it kind of like, it never, it wasn't like a resolution, like a, a, like a what we can all do moving forward, um, like all together as a community. Was that like intentional, like to leave the discussion open or what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's a great question. I think, I think the discussion is the important part. I'm not, I didn't write it claiming to have some sort of, you know, magical solution. Um, I just was really hoping to strike up conversation in terms of, you know, in, in paddling communities and in paddling groups in terms of, you know, what's, what's a safe, logical progression. Um, there's a lot of people out there who might run a, you know, a class three run and think, sweet, I'm super solid. I, you know, I survived that. So I guess I'm super solid and I guess I'm ready for three plus and I guess I'm ready for class four and so on. And, um, you know, whitewater is a really interesting sport. If you, if you think about it, like even the driftwood makes it down a lot of runs. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a big difference between like making it to the takeout and having something really dialed. And so I just yep. wanted to kind of bring, bring attention to that, that, um, you know, to me, a logical progression looks like if, if your whole group, if you were with three or four other people that were all had the same skill set as you on that given day, that, you know, everyone that, you know, if you really are comfortable at that grade, then that group would be fine kind of setting safety and scouting and working your way down stuff together. Um, that's, that's kind of a, a way of looking at a logical progression for me. And, you know, I've seen, you know, over the years, just a lot of, um, a lot of people that are just kind of like bombing down stuff and barely making it by the skin of their teeth. Um, sometimes getting beaten down a bit and then just kind of going on to the next thing. And I think that's um, the end game of that approach doesn't look very good. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely like easy to just be like, okay, I've got it. Let's, you know, let's do the next thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And um, one of the takeaway points that I thought when I was kind of reading through your article was that like we all kind of have a bit of a responsibility, right? Like kayaking's individual. I think you wrote it down like that. Like kayaking's uh, an individual team sport where we we are paddling our own boats, but also we're responsible for each other and our actions. Like the things that we choose to do on any given day don't just impact us, but they impact uh, the people we're on the water with. So we kind of have a responsibility um, to think about those people as well as thinking about ourselves before we run a particular river or a particular rapid or a particular line, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an individual sport when it's going well, but yeah, as soon exactly. as, as soon as the shit hits the fan and as, as soon as somebody's pinned on the top of a sieve or, um, you know, getting worked in a hole, it's a team sport and we're relying on each other and in such a, you know, powerful and dynamic medium as whitewater, it's, 
you know, we always go into some sort of rescue situation with the mentality of, you know, no new victims and not getting into trouble ourselves. But those lines are thin. And in terms of responding to a situation in a dynamic medium, uh, when we're going to help someone who's stuck in a shitty spot, either by wading in or baited swim or even paddling to them, um, we're always putting ourselves a little bit at risk by that. And I think... Uh, sorry, sorry you finished, No, you finished what you said, man. Sorry, I cut you off. Um, and I, I just think it's, it's a discussion worth having because of that. Yeah, I, uh, I agree 100%. Do you, do you think um, everyone, every single kayaker in the world would be paddling better if nobody had access to a GoPro? Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I, uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, benefits. It's, it's just a tool. It's a tool. I mean, there's benefits. There's hazards to any tool. I mean, a table saw, you can build a house with it or you can chop off three of your fingers. It really depends how much attention you're putting into using it and what your attention intentions are. I would say that um, I get a lot of stoke and excitement seeing some GoPro footage of the, you know, the heavies, the shit runners, like out there on the Stikin, like that's so far above my pay grade. I, I can't fathom going there myself, but um, you know, I get a lot of excitement and inspiration in my own paddling, uh, getting to witness some of those runs done by other people. Um, I know a lot of people um, use their GoPro footage, both their own and other people's, to kind of tighten their lines up a little bit or to learn and become familiar with new runs. You can, you know, see some runs down, you know, a creek that's on your bucket list. And when it comes in, you know, you can walk into that situation a little more informed. It doesn't take the place of scouting and proper planning and doing your due diligence and having a strong crew, but it's, you know, it, it can add inf information and uh, it, it's just one more tool that you can apply in that way. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with them. What, if that wasn't the point of my article is like GoPros are bad. I think, you know, I think all these things are just tools. It's all comes down to how we choose to use them. All right, let's pivot for a second. I'm going to take the devil's advocate position. Sure. Um, Aniel and Dane and Nuria and Benny and a lot of the other like kind of big name uh, kayakers of of social media of the world, like the best kayakers in the world, they post a lot of fantastic lines that they run, but they almost all post their, some of their carnage lines too. What's the difference between them and, and an average, the average Joe Sunday kayaker posting his good and bad lines? Um, I, I appreciate that those folks include some of their, their beatdown footage. I think you know, I, I sometimes hear people say it's all it's all class three until it goes wrong, you know, and it's easy for us to look at those really elite level paddlers that you mentioned. And they make that shit look so easy and so pretty that it makes it seem like, well, I could do that. And so could Aunt Martha and Grandma off the couch. And, you know, seeing what happens when even the elites, you know, miss one stroke or uh, misread a hole at the bottom of a drop or something like that and seeing how it how it plays out. I think, I think there's a lot of learning that can be happen, happening from that. Um, I also think that, you know, depending on how it's presented, it can present a risk in terms of if they sort of play down the hazard that they've managed to escape from. And mm -hmm. that's kind of human nature. We all do that. Um, you know, we survive stuff or we see someone survive stuff and we think, Oh, okay, that's not as bad as I thought, but really 
there's a certain component to whitewater that no matter how good we are or how much we've taken the time to develop our skills and all those people you mentioned certainly have at that at that upper level and what and even i would say at anyone's upper level as a personal factor there's it's a it's a dynamic medium and to some extent there's a little bit of a dice roll factor in there so um i think playing down you know like you know tremendous ass whippings as like just something to laugh off i think i don't know they're that uh you know that could affect people too it's it's hard to say it is super hard to say i i definitely don't know what the what the right or wrong position is i just kind of wanted to take that you know question to you just you know to to, to be on the other side for a minute because that's kind of my job um sure, i read and- another article this morning that was similar to yours, but a few years older um, that uh, I was on filming another podcast yesterday that I got recommended to me. And it's called style by this dude, Lewis Geltman, who's a hammer factor podcast guy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's on this website called site Z. It's like super similar to yours. And it, uh, but like eight years older, but like a very similar vein of like, uh, you know, too many people just like surviving their way down rivers and then like surviving their way down harder rivers and not, um, having that style uh, factor uh, before they like level up, and there's a super interesting like I, I wouldn't say chapter because it's like not a book, but uh, uh, like a, a midsection of this article which talks about like kids getting into paddling and like pro paddlers now who started as kids um, being forced to stay on easier white water because they had some kind of like older mentor or parent or whatever who would be like, you know, you're 14 years old, you're not going to run some NAR class five because you can drive there. Um, you know, then they're, because they're forced into staying on those easier runs for longer, uh, they build up better skills and they're better at uh, knowing what they can do and what they can't do and, and finding the harder lines in easier whitewater. What's, what do you think about kids kayaking and kids in social media now? Uh, well, I... That I'm familiar with that article that you mentioned. I I read it a number of years ago, and I uh, I don't remember the specifics, but I I tend to like Lewis's writing style and agree with a lot of what he has to say. Yeah, um, it was pretty sick. I really I really enjoyed it too. Like similar to how I really enjoyed you on. Uh, in in terms of what do I think about, I, I would say that I think that's a really solid recipe for skill development is um, finding ways to make you know, class four moves in class three or class three moves in class two um, and really getting, you know, running, going to your local river and running just like kind of garbage lines to see what happens and, and, and dealing with it in a safe situation. Um, I've, I've found that to be a really good way of, of skill development. And, and I think that that sort of style or that approach leads to technically better paddlers. So, I mean, whether that's better or worse, I don't know. I, I think it, in a, in a sport or a, or an activity where, um, you know, it's really fun until things go bad, like having technical, having the best possible technical skill development is makes pretty good sense to me. Um, in terms of like kids, and what's available in social media and all of that. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, I think we're still learning what these effects are. Like social media is still fairly new 
um, relatively speaking, in the grand scheme of things. And a lot of us sort of grew up without it and then adapted to it in our, you know, 20s or 30s. And in terms of what the effects are going to be on people who went through their more formative years as teenagers with that stuff available, I, I don't know. It's anybody's guess. But um, I think that it complicates decision making and risk assessment, having that social pressure involved. And you spoke about people sort of having older mentors that would say, no, we're going to wait until you like fully own this run before we do the next harder thing. I think that's a really good check against um, that sort of social pressure that can be there to do the next thing to get your picture on the next run, you know, on that next bucket list thing and share it with your friends and, and get that sense of approval. So. For sure. I think it's interesting, like reading that like older article from Lewis and then reading yours. And, and it's like, a, I think his one's written in 2012 and yours 2019. So a bit of a gap and a lot of growth in the social media world, like a lot of growth in like Instagram is pretty much at its full maturity, Snapchat, at its full maturity, uh, other platforms, just like all, all growing up are like, you know, these kids are, are living in this world and I, I don't know if it's a good or bad wonder if that, you know, those older mentors will be like more swayed, you know, by, um, by those kids putting pressure back on, on them to let them move forward a bit faster and to get it like in over their head a bit, a bit faster. Um, but I guess uh, you're right. We don't really know yet. I'm just, just, you know, it's a thought like social media is a lot further on in the last five years than it was when uh, Lewis wrote the article. I don't know. You're right. I don't know what the outcome of that is for, for the youths, the, the future kids. Yeah, I mean, in, intuitively, I have my concerns about what the, what the effects will be. I mean, there's really big corporations who are spending a lot of time and money trying to make the experience as addictive as possible because while so, so, social media seems like it's a free service, the thing that most people don't take into consideration is where the product of social media. Facebook is selling our time and attention to advertisers and same with all these platforms. So they are making them as addictive as possible and by like messing with our dopamine releases and um, factoring the sounds and the whole user experience to make us stay on there. And it's, you know, it's, it's at the expense of our, you know, our brain chemistry that, you know, we, spend our time scrolling through that thing i wonder i wonder i wonder i wonder i don't know i hope that you know the, the kids who are kayaking today and the kids growing up in the future will continue to have those older wiser mentors who will keep them keep them in check and grow their skills best i think that you know the kids of the future and we really need them to keep the sport growing so hopefully uh hopefully you know instagram's not get, getting getting to them too much yeah, totally. The one of the interesting things I find about whitewater is that as uh, difficulty increases, danger increases along with it. And some outdoor sports are like that, but not all of them. Rock climbing, for instance, you can climb harder and harder routes, but you know they can often become you know the sort of the same amount of danger, or often even the harder difficulty routes become less dangerous than some of the easier ones, just due to sort of the realities of protection. But with, with whitewater, the doing harder things and continuing to challenge ourselves are often associated with 
more technically difficult and more dangerous whitewater and more consequential whitewater. So, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the case. I mean, by, by trying to catch every eddy in your backyard runs and um, trying to find ways to in- integrate downriver play and uh, playing your way off of the features, you know, we can increase the difficulty in a way that's not uh, more consequential and necessarily, you know, uh, more dangerous. Okay, so we've got to think responsibly for the future. What is one thing everyone at home listening can do to be a more responsible beater out there when they're when they're I mean <laughs> responsible responsible river user? Well, the uh, the thing I hope to achieve with writing the article was just kind of being aware of our own decision making and what's influencing that. And also just kind of starting the conversation, um, whether that's in your paddling group or if you're, um, you know, helping some some newer paddlers get into the sport of just having these conversations about about uh, natural progression, about logical progression, about making good decisions and and just talking about all the things that might um, affect or interfere with those decisions. And some of those are social media. Some of them are just good old fashioned peer pressure. There was a ton of that when I started boating that, you know, everyone wanted to be tough. No one wanted to say, holy shit, I'm terrified right now. You know, it was it was uh, a lot of peer pressure to run the next thing, run the harder thing, get on runs at high water. Um, and I think these conversations in terms of w- when when is a run, you know, a bit of a too big of a step or when does this change in water level mean? You know, we should go somewhere else or maybe everything's blown out and we should all just go bowling. You know, I, I think if that's the, the one thing that people could take away, it was just kind of a, an awareness of these things and these factors and um, and sort of the the foundations on which our decision making is occurring. Is it ever right or wrong to ask the people who you're putting on with, do you definitely have this? Um, I, I think those are really hard questions to ask, Yeah, um, but I think they're good questions to ask. And I think it's, I think it's always a, a fair question. I think we should be asking ourselves that for starters and, you know, depending on, on the crew, if we're doing something new, if we're stepping it up or if there's new people paddling with us, I think it seems on at first glance, like it's a disrespectful thing to ask somebody, Hey, are you, you know, are you comfortable on this? What, you know, cause people feel like, Oh, it's disrespectful. You're questioning their experience or their skill set. But if you care about them as a person and you care about their physical safety, I think it's fine to ask and say, Hey, what other, what other runs like this have you done? What are you comfortable on? Oh, you've run this before. What flow states have you run it at? Um, I, I think, I think we have to, if we want to, do our best to have long careers and to paddle with people with long, long careers. I think we have to be willing to sometimes ask those questions, both internally and externally. This, that was the big, the big takeaway for me is that as I have gotten older and have been more places and have un, had, you know, unfortunately lost a few uh, friends and community members, I have got much more comfortable when I see someone I don't know at a, you know, a high water run or a flood stage run or, you know, something that's big. I'm very happy to just pop over in the parking lot and say, hey, man, like, 
I've never seen you before. Like, what's your deal? And just have a, a, a chat, a chit chat with them um, about what they're, you know, wh- where they're from, what their experience is, what they're expecting, um, you know, to, to find out if they have this. And I probably don't usually phrase it in that, like, you know, fairly leading question that I gave you, like, hey, man, do you have this? But unless they're a really good friend of mine, but it's like, um, I'm very happy to start those conversations with people and take five extra minutes because I think it's super important for for everyone else in the group, right? For, for your safety. Otherwise, ultimately, you're going to put on with someone who you don't know, who's like immediately out of their depth, and then it's going to be on you to deal with their, their shit when something goes wrong. And I think everybody in the kayaking world, no matter how hard you're going, like if you... If you're scared, there's probably someone else to put on with who's scared too. And you need to make sure that everybody is on the same place in, in terms of like, do they have this? And maybe not in such a short, vulgar way, but like you, everyone's just got to kind of buck up and be like, have more conversations with people in the parking lot. Make sure everyone is there, has it. Totally. And I, I think it's, it's a really important thing to role model in the community as well. I mean, you're, you're an instructor, you've got this podcast platform and, you know, there's like, we've definitely got plenty of the peer pressure in our sport already. And they're just like, Oh fuck, everybody's doing it. So I guess I'm putting on too. Um, And we don't need, we've got, we've got enough of that. We don't need more of it. What we need is more of these conversations. And I think, you know, the, the way you phrased it isn't necessarily how I'd approach it, but I think if you can find a respectful way of, of opening these conversations and role modeling these conversations in the community, it, it just makes for better outcomes because it's like, we've all had those experiences where we've been in over our depths, gotten beat down. And I don't know about for you, but it set my progression back. Like having to come to terms with those experiences and the fear and and all of that, it's every time it's happened to me, it's set my progression back. And if what we want is to keep getting better and keep enjoying the sport, you know, I, uh, in my mind, it's best done by not traumatizing ourselves and the people around us by, um, you know, those really sketchy close calls. We've all seen them. We've all seen them. We've all had moments in a parking lot where we thought maybe not today. And, you know, it's variable. Like, you know, maybe you're jet lag, maybe you're hungover, maybe you just got off the flu. Uh, there's so many things that affect our abilities on any given day and a run that we totally styled and nailed last week at a different flow state or at a different mental state could, we could have our ass handed to us. So it's, uh, it's just all these different considerations. And I think the, the important thing is to just be realistic with ourselves and, and also to have the conversation. Yeah, for sure. There was a really, I can't remember where it was now. There was a really great blog article, Pat Keller wrote a few years ago, um, and it was about uh, walking a rapid, uh, it was somewhere in the southeast, um, but I can't remember the name of the river. And it was a rapid, he, he'd like run a bunch of times before, but had but would regularly walk because it was like kind of rowdy. And if he wasn't feeling it, it was like the risk reward just wasn't uh, wasn't high enough for him. And at the time when I first read it, I remember thinking like, huh, go figure. And now as I get older, I realize that actually just because you've done something before doesn't mean you need to do it every single time. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't, it won't slow you down less by not doing it. If anything, it'll probably be the opposite outcome, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. And in terms of the, 
you know, these sponsored paddlers, these kind of world known, world renowned paddlers. When I see stuff like that, it's, it, it always makes me glad to see it. Folks that are, you know, that are sharing that they, they got to the put in and it was just way, way too high and they didn't put on or, um, they took a look at a hole at the bottom of a drop and were like, hell no, I'm not messing with that today. Or even saying, yeah, I've done this before and you know what? I'm not feeling it today. Cause that's, when when I started paddling, I didn't have a lot of people role modeling that. I had a lot of people go like, just like everyone full send, and you know you might get heckled if you're considering walking it kind of thing. And yeah, I, I hope. I, I don't uh, think it's helpful. I hope the takeaway for people listening to this. I hope they have two takeaways. I hope that they know they don't have to run everything and like, you know, different, different days, different feelings. Like you're not, you are not personally any less of a kayaker or canoeer or paddler or whatever, um, because you chose to take a pass on something that you've done before. And I hope people be more happy to start those conversations, um, on the big days and on the big runs on places. They, you know, when, when they meet a group of people who they've never seen before, or like, you know, that one, that one person who's joining a group of people you know and you just want to say hey like what's up man and and figure out what uh what's up with them and i i hope that will be the the, the prime example takeaway people get from this podcast that, that will be transferable and hopefully help a lot of people totally i love it it's like you know paddling sexy styling it's sexy good decision making sexy too hell yes all right well i think that's a great place for us to leave it uh, Gold Awake people find you on the socials or the the writing things if they're interested. Um, I'm on on Facebook at uh, Golder Goldstein. You can find my writing on Medium under the same name, and uh, you can check out my webpage uh, where you'll find writing about coaching work as well as some outdoor stuff and whatever esoteric stuff uh, I'm drawn to write about. Um, and that website is thegoodflow.net. Right on.